Hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the show for you. In today's episode, we're reconnecting with a familiar face, Bronson Hill. He used to work with Nighthawk, actually. He's a head of investor relations, and he's gone on and done his own thing. He's come a long way. He's raised millions of dollars in a variety of asset classes. And here's on the show to talk about how to raise capital at a, at a large scale, but also what's going on right now in the market and how how does he position what's going on with the market to investors who may be you know, experiencing some pain right now? How is he positioning that versus new opportunities? That's the kind of environment we find ourselves. He's also just published his, his new book called Fire Yourself. It's all about passive investing. So we're going to dig that apart on the show as well. Before we do that, I want to give a shout out to Hunter, who posted a review on Amazon for The Yellow Book. He said, this book is a detailed first roadmap. I've been thinking about syndication for a while, but was missing many pieces. Reading this book has given me most of them. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Hunter, for that. If you haven't done so, check out The Yellow Book. It's called Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing. It's on Amazon, and I'd love to get your review if you have read it already. I'm going to shout out anyone who's been influenced by us and helped in some way to do their first deal or become financially free. And today, there's Frank and Fred. They're actually one of our mentoring students. They're working with Duamel. He's one of our mentors, uh, Duamel Vellon. And eight months after they started working with us, they just closed on their first deal, a 60 unit. And the law of the first deal kicked in like it always does. And four months later, they closed on another deal, a 36 unit. And they have a goal, of course, of being being full-time and starting a foundation. They're from Tanzania, and they want to help the children in their country. So they have a very strong why. So congratulations, Fred and Frank, on your second deal, on your path to financial freedom and leaving legacy. So with that, let's bring on our co-host here, Garrett Lynch. Garrett, what's going on? What's going on, Michael? So we're talking about Bronson Hill, about uh, passive investing today, and we're in this really odd environment where... There are investors listening to the show, or maybe even people who own apartment buildings, and they're they're struggling. They're facing capital calls, potential losses, right? And then here we are talking about financial freedom. We're like, what gives? What is wrong with you guys? Like, why don't you guys become a little more what's going on right now in the market? There's a lot of pain in the market. And, and so I get that, okay? But you got to remember that there's a very small part of the audience is experiencing pain right now. And those are people who have invested in anything related to a floating rate debt. And that's construction loans or multifamily value add or things of that nature. And so the majority of people have not. So if you don't have own a building or you have not invested in a project with variable rate loan, you're not going through the pain. In fact, now you're just dealing with opportunity. And so we're kind of doing a little bit of both. We're talking a little bit about pain and a little bit about gain. Garrett, how do we position that now? Well, Here's the thing is the plan that us, for example, we were doing the same business type of business plan the whole way. What changed? Well, there was COVID, which really helped our plan, really helped everything, boosted everything, was this black swan event, sent everything in this direction. And then there's another black swan event following it, which is interest rates rising at a, a ridiculous rate that made everything go down rapidly, right? So, but the plan was always the same. The whole time. And in fact, you know, we'll have operations that are doing above and beyond what we even performed in certain circumstances, which which is, you know, that's what the plan was. But what changed was a swing in the market. So if you're losing right now, 
what can you do? Okay. Well, first of all, the plan is going to stay the same. Maybe it'll change a little bit, but the plan still works. It just depends on the environment. The environment that we're entering into is one where we saw a defined peak. And I'll, I'll say this again and again, in 2012, right around between February and March, that peak, we saw where it is and now it's coming down the other way. Now deals are, are 40, sometimes 50% off from the top, from the peak, even at this time. So if you are able to, you manage to look and, and see deals, even if you're getting hurt right now on the other ones and you get in something that's later into the cycle, like that, like at this phase, there is a higher likelihood that those are going to work out. Now it's, it's difficult to understand. You gotta, uh, there's a lot of variables in that, of course, but going back in to, even though you got hurt and, and looking at it with the lens of, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can get into something that is going to take advantage of this opportunity. And as to where things are in the market, that's hard to do, but do it. Look at opportunities from operators across the board. Say, oh, where was peak pricing? Where are things now? Okay, I see. What's the plan? Does it make sense? And if you like it, you can't be scared to maybe dive back in. That's a good point. And we we don't talk about risk-adjusted return enough, right? And let's, let's talk about that. If you look at the, the risk profile of deals that we did, let's say, two years ago, you're buying deals at the low end of cap rates. Like cap rates haven't been lower. Interest rates haven't been lower. They're historical low. Okay, so that's on the riskier side because, well, they really can't go any lower. And so then you coupled together some variable rate loans on top of that, which were required to do value-add deals in the first place. And so you put it, you layer, and yes, the IRR was 15% and all that stuff, but the risk was relatively on the higher end. Now, if you do a deal today, Garrett, the risk is completely different. First of all, no one's doing floating rate debt, okay? Or you are, you're having like four or five year interest rate cap. So that's off the table. Interest rates now are actually what many consider to be at the high point and in fact about to go down. Cap rates are, you know, highest in like 20 years also. And so now you're at the other end of the spectrum, right? It's within 18 months, the pendulum has swung to the other direction and the sophisticated investor must recognize that the risk profiles are completely different. And so I think it's going to take a sophisticated investor to buy when there's blood in the streets. That's when Warren Buffett would, would buy. And that's what's required. Yeah. And you're almost forced to put these different these different mechanisms in place because lenders are only going to go so high on what they're going to allow to be lent. So you're going to already have baked in lower leverage. And any deal that's getting done right now is, is likely going to be in some sort of a fixed rate scenario, whether that's them simulating it with a bridge loan that has a cap purchased or an actual fixed rate loan. So all these things are already kind of set up as a different risk profile, just because that's all that can happen right now. There are a lot of options on the table when things were going crazy. And it's something that 11 rate hikes, nobody saw. Nobody, nobody saw that it's no. the it's the fastest that rates have gone ever really in the US. So it is a black swan event. So if you're getting hurt, just know that you're not alone and that there are different risk profile deals essentially in the market now, completely different that you're looking at that have really strong fundamentals. Yeah, that's right. And and, and the strong the fundamentals are still just as strong. The risk profile has changed. So the, the lesson here is don't let fear guide you, right? So really watch the market carefully. 
and look for the right opportunity. You have to be discerning, as you always should, but look for that right opportunity and, and really look at that risk profile and compare it to maybe what, what you may have gotten into a couple of years ago. I, I do think there's going to be an amazing opportunity to buy, and it, it feels a lot like 2008, 9, 10 for me right now. The trick in this environment is going to be to have the guts to invest in a market like that. And if we know the fundamentals in multifamily, for example, and those fundamentals are still strong, then if we're getting something at 50, 60 cents on the dollar or, or even better, and we're getting fixed rate debt on it, it's an amazing opportunity. So hopefully you guys will will stay in it and, and watch the market as in we'll keep you posted here. So let's get in our interview here with Bronson Hill. He's the CEO of Bronson Equity. He's raised over $20 million for real estate and other, uh, other types of asset classes as well. And a really good interview about you know, uh, journey to find financial freedom with passive investing. Also about some of the mistakes that passive investors make. We talk about some of that on the on the show, and also what to make of this kind of market environment. How should the investor view what's coming in twenty twenty four? Let's get in the show with Bronson Hill. Bronson, welcome to the show. Hey, Michael Garrett, super excited to be here, and love. I've always loved your show, man. It's been awesome over the years. You've just done an amazing job. Yeah, well, it's great. It's been a little while since we connected. We worked together for a good period of time here, and it's great to see your success as, on Bronson Equity and and doing the stuff you've done and raising millions of dollars. It's really cool. So it's great to check in. So just provide a little bit of background. I mean, your background is you you know like so many of us, this journey to financial freedom. Just talk a little bit about how that went for you. Yeah, so I uh, was a well-paid medical sales professional. Was making over two hundred k a year. Was getting paid well. You know, a lot of people in the medical field do very well financially. But one of the issues is it's very hard to take time off and I didn't have control over my time. And a lot of people think of financial freedom, but really they're thinking in terms of, of when you really break it down, it's time freedom. And I wanted to have the ability to travel, the ability to create, and I just didn't have the ability to do it. So I decided I wanted to get more into real estate and really develop, as Warren Buffett would say, learning how to make money while you sleep. So that was kind mm -hmm. of the reason why I decided to journey into real estate. How did you go about pursuing it, right? Because, I mean, it took me 10 years and millions of dollars lost to kind of find it. And your path was a little more direct. How did you go about it? Yeah, so I, you know, kind of read everything I could on on real estate. I started doing single family stuff and realized, just as you say a lot, is single family does not get you to financial freedom. So I discovered that pretty quickly. And then I had a cousin who was doing multifamily. He said, "Why don't you do multifamily investing?" And I said, "Well, that sounds great, but I don't have the money." And he said, "Well, you can raise the money." You talk about when the thing called syndication. He actually recommended your podcast and and some other you know events and things. And and I remember when I actually met you, Michael. I actually came up and I was I'm I'm a little bit gregarious sometimes, and I came up and I was all excited. Hey, Michael, how's it going? Like almost as if we'd like, you know, you knew me from whenever you didn't really know who I was, but I'd spent all this time with you through your podcast. And so, so anyway, you know, basically had raised some money for a deal for a multifamily deal, hundred K for a deal in Texas. And then just was really, you know, pursuing it, trying to look at deals, trying to figure out how to raise money. And then from a partnership, that's actually you and I started working together and, and the team started working together and we raised a lot of money, you know, tens of millions of dollars over the next, you know, year and a half. And it just gave me the chance to get on the phone with a lot of high net worth investors. So I took about a thousand one-on-one -on -one phone calls with high net worth investors while still working my full-time job. So I was doing those at 6 a.m. at lunch and in the, in the car. I was doing them kind of whenever I could just to try to get the experience and really bring the value. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, so we worked together, we, we were participating in our platform, on our podcast and our videos. You spoke to a lot of our investors and then you went out on your own and you really built this amazing platform. Talk a little bit about 
the elements of your marketing platform. So what did you know, what, what did you do and how then have you leveraged it to raise more capital? Because really what you what you've done is you know, you can raise, you know, half a million dollars, million dollars, you know, through word of mouth, one-on-one meetings, and you wanted to kind of do it through a platform. So what did that look like uh, for you? Yeah. So honestly, just seeing people like yourself and other successful investors and entrepreneurs just see when you have a platform, it goes from the one to one to the one to many. And I always told myself like, oh, I'm just, I'm not a tech guy or I'm not a, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who can do that, whatever. But then I, I realized that was kind of a negative self-talk. And I said, no, I've got to learn this. I got to do whatever it takes to learn how to create events and, and podcasts. So we started a podcast called the Mailbox Money Show. We have kind of a virtual panels every month where we'll have you know, 100, 200 people show up. And it's, it's just been really great to create this kind of one-to-many. And really, you know, the person I'm trying to reach typically is a professional or a business owner who's trying to reduce taxes. They're trying to grow their passive cash flow. They're trying to find ways to, you know, get to financial freedom. Maybe they make a lot of money, but they don't have time freedom. And so, you know, I think, and, and recently writing a book, you know, that's another way to just to try to reach more people. But it is really amazing in our culture today. You know, you don't have to just go to a bunch of events and I, I like events, but when you can just put things out there that people can share and they like, and you really create something that's a valuable, you know, valuable as far as content, people can take it and run with it and share it. And it just gets your word out without having to have all those conversations individually. Yeah. Speaking of book, you did mention your book called Fire Yourself. And what's the book about and, and kind of what was behind you creating? Because I know from personal experience, it's a lot of work. It's a huge commitment to write a book. And so what, what was behind that? Yeah, it was interesting. Writing the process of writing a book is a lot of work, but you know, it's it's something if you just take the time and you sit out and you do it, you can. The reason I wrote it is, you know, I wanted to fire myself. I wanted to get to a place where I didn't have to go to work, that I had control over my time. And I was able to do it last year, actually this year in 2023, I was able to travel six times internationally, I was able to raise, you know, close to $15 million. And it's just, you know, when you can do things that you can create in your life, whether it's through active investing, this book is really dedicated more to passive investors of how how do I start investing in things outside of Wall Street or things that can put money in my pocket every month? So it talks about how to develop cash flow streams, how to vet deals, you know, not just in real estate, but also in other alternative assets. How do you find great deals? How do you find partners? And, you know, really, how do you get in that process where it's like a muscle, right? A lot of people that I've I've talked to and worked with until they've invested in a deal, everything just sounds like a foreign language or a foreign concept. But once they actually put $100,000 in a deal, or they put some money in a deal, they get some experience with it. It's like a muscle they start to flex. And then over time, they're like, hey, this really works. They can scale it up and they can really see the benefit of saying, hey, I actually got to a place where I can leave my job if I want to, which is huge. You don't necessarily have to leave your job. You have a job you like or a business you enjoy. But if you want to, or you sell your business, there is a way, as Warren Buffett would say, to make money while you sleep. So Bronson, a lot of what you're doing now, it's, you know, you've, you've kind of we were working together and you've branched off to do your your own thing and you've you've really built a name for yourself. You're now going and picking different verticals, it seems like. Like you're branching more into private equity when it comes to potentially capital raising. How are you going about vetting sponsors? Like what is that process like to make sure that that they're not doing something crazy when you go to place capital? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I think there are some common things when it comes to vetting deals and, and sponsors, obviously a big part of that. You know, I look for really, you know, when you have a call, typically when you join somebody's investment group, you'll have a call with somebody on the team, like all those calls I have with investors, but, you know, just really trying to figure out what the values of the team are, like what what's important, what do they say, what's on their website. If you can talk to other investors, especially 
you know, I think, you know, three of us are kind of industry insiders. So people kind of get to know who's doing what in the space and how things are generally going. And there's a reputation that goes with that. I also do when I have other partners and other things, I always do a background check to make sure that at least, you know, there's something that, you know, if there's anything glaring there that we see that. And then sometimes I'll invest my own capital first. This is how it works with our ATM fund. I invested first as a passive investor. And then after a year or two, I was like, you know, I really like this investment. Maybe I'll look at seeing if I could bring my investors to this deal. And so, but it's, you know, it's it's always whenever you work with partners, whenever you bring deals to investors, it always feels like quite a big, you know, it's, it's a lot to do that. And so you just want to make sure that the values, the focus, where people are going, kind of the direction, you know, have they had, they doing this a long time? Do they have a track record? Also a question I love to ask is, you know, what's something that didn't go well in a deal? And if people, you know, don't have anything to say, they're, you know, or they say everything's gone fine, usually they're inexperienced or they're just not being fully transparent because in every deal, as you guys know, even, you know, multifamily deals, like there's things that go well, things that don't go as well. And you learn, there's like a learning process, you know, as you work along. So, so I think, you know, as far as that goes, I love to passively invest first, but other times through reputation or through an introduction or just through really feeling like, you know, does this group really match up with really our core values? And are they really going where we're trying to help our investors go? And, you know, same with working with passive investors, we will look for a long-term relationship with our partners that we work with on the investment side or or even on the on the passive side. How do you get up to speed on the business? So like ATM funds, like I, if I haven't done anything with that, I have no clue like how to go and, and do that. How do you kind of like learn what that business is all about if you're not investing with them? Yeah, so it's a really good question. I think, you know, as an investor, you know, Warren Buffett, I I I draw a lot from Warren Buffett, but he says, you know, we don't invest in anything we 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 don't understand. And so for a long time, he didn't invest in tech stuff. He didn't invest in there's certain things like I just don't understand, I'm not excited about, there's no passion, there's no like, I just don't get how this works. But like with ATMs, it's like, okay, well, what are I try to always find out like what are the what are the primary risks of an ATM deal? Okay, well, generally it's well, people stop using cash. Well, that slow down. What are the facts? What's the data say? And that actually shows that the number of ATM transactions are actually increasing about 4% per year, you know, historically, and then, you know, going forward. So there's things that you try to look at, just ask continual questions about, okay, what does this industry look like? What are the biggest challenges? And then I'll ask, kind of get in my mind what I think the biggest risk is. And then when I talk to the operator, I'll say, what do you perceive as kind of being the biggest risk here? Or if I talk to other investors, I'll say, well, what are some things that you considered going into this? Or what are some concerns you have? Or what's the communication like? So I think those are all things that, you know, you don't know what you don't know. But I think if you ask questions, if you do some research online, and now you can Google anything, and you can just get on chat GPT, what's the biggest risk of investing in an ATM deal, right? And it'll give you all this information. So I think, you know, I think it's just to get, you know, most businesses, honestly, are, are pretty straightforward in the sense of, okay, there are ways you can make money, there are ways you can can lose money, and just trying to understand the best you can. And, and you know, obviously, too, if you have $10 million to invest, maybe put, you know, the minimum in the first, you know, when you first start, don't put in, you know, $5 million in the first deal, you put a little bit in, you kind of inch your way in and kind of get familiar with that asset class and that operator. Hey, are you tired of the stock market volatility or feeling like there's more you can do with your money? Do you dream of owning your real estate but not sure where to start? Now, here's the thing. You're not alone about this, and it's not your fault. There's so many options out there from wholesaling, flipping, to landlording, and turnkeys. Like, which one should you do? Which one's right to you if you want to get into real estate? And the truth is, none of the things I just mentioned will actually make you financial free and put you on a strong financial footing. But not to worry. I have a solution for you, a new idea perhaps, if you're open to new ideas. And that is the following, that we have found that the number one way to fast track your journey to financial freedom, build wealth, and retire is through apartment building investing. 
Now, you're probably thinking, that's great, Michael, but I don't have the experience or the money to get into apartments. And the good news is that you don't need previous experience or a bunch of money in a bank to get started. And I can say this with confidence because we've helped so many people of all walks of life do the first deal and become financially free. In fact, we've helped students close over $1.5 billion in real estate. Now, if you're skeptical, that's okay. You're skeptical is fine, but you're open to this new idea. Then let's have a conversation. Go to the michaelblank.com forward slash call and schedule a strategy session to explore working with us like so many others have before you as well. We're really excited to guide you on this journey and don't let fear or disbelief or what you think is possible hold you back. Remember, the only thing standing between financial freedom is action. And this is the one thing I want you to do right now is go to the michaelblank.com forward slash call and schedule that call with us. It may be the most exciting call that you'll have all year. Let's do this. What are some of your main messages in the book? So you got, you know, your message to the millions about passive investing. What do you, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, well, the biggest thing is that a lot of people invest in ways they think are passive, but they're actually not. And I know this is similar to your message as well, is that, you know, single family investing is not passive. If you can't 10x the current strategy that you're doing. So if you have three rental houses, if you couldn't go to 30 houses like overnight, if that just sounds overwhelming, like a full-time job, you're not actually passive investing. If you actively trade stocks, you're not passive investing because it's a lot of effort. And to have, you know, it's different to invest a few thousand dollars than to have like half your net worth in stocks where you're actively trading and you're in and out and you're doing things. So the idea of really passively investing, it is something that exists, but it doesn't exist in traditional finance. I, I used to be a registered investment advisor, which is an RIA. Now I'm what's called, I'm still an RIA. It's a recovering investment advisor. So I learned kind of saw behind the curtain of some of the Wall Street stuff and just said, you know, Wall Street gets paid no matter what, even if your investments go down by 50%, but there's a lot of misalignment of interest. They did a big study and they found that almost 60% of fund managers managing over $100 million in Wall Street had $0 invested in the funds that they invest in, right? So a lot of people that we know, a lot of people that are listening, and you know, we have a money person that manages you know, our retirement or manages millions of dollars. But really, it's I just think it's far, far better if we can get out of Wall Street and into Main Street. And this is really a, a guide of how to do that. How do you look at different types of deals? How do you vet different types of deals? How do you get control over your time? You know, if I have a business and I'm selling it for, you know, a few million dollars or whatever, what am I going to do at that point? How am I going to generate cash for the, you know, do I just put it in treasuries? What if there's no yield? Like, what are the things that I can do that really can create a solid return of 10, 15, 20% per year. And those things are out there. It just takes some work and some effort and really investing in your, in your own education. What are some of the more, more common mistakes that you see passive investors make? I think there's a few. I think one of the biggest ones is analysis paralysis. I see a lot of people kind of look at syndicated deals and they just kind of keep looking at deals and they never really make a decision. And so kind of how I confront that, a lot of times I tell people, even in the book, I say, you know, make a plan that you're you're going to invest in a deal in the next 30 days or the next 60 days instead of timeline. And if you don't tell your friend, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay you 500 bucks or I'm going to give you like give some sort of deadline and then look at five or 10 deals. Don't look at like a million deals. Just look at like five or 10 deals and then choose one and do it. And probably it'll go just fine. You'll learn a lot. And really, I think it's the education more than how the investment does itself. I and mean, obviously preservation of capital is very, very important, but what you learn along the way, I think is even more important. And so I think that's a real critical thing to consider. So analysis paralysis is, is definitely something that you see a lot. Anything else that stands out? Yeah, I think, you know, again, a lot of times there's people that it, it's kind of tied in with analysis paralysis a little bit, but there's a lot of people that have a lot of big lofty plans and dreams. 
And I don't know if you can, you guys, you know, you guys have done amazing things in your life. Garrett, Michael, you guys are just admire you guys a ton. But, you know, there came a point in my life where I, I turned, I was turning 40 and I just said, you know, I've got these dreams in my heart. I want to really go for it. Or even when I was getting ready to quit my job, I didn't have to quit my job. My family was like, you're absolutely crazy. Why would you quit your 200K, your job? You're doing this in like 30 hours a week. Like, why would you do that? But, you know, there's that quote that says at the end of your life, you regret more of the things you didn't do than the things that you did. And so I just think it's like really going after your dreams, really doing the things you're here to do. And when you're financially free, it allows you to do that. And I know, Michael, you talk a lot about that too. Once you become financially free, it comes down to your legacy. What's the legacy that you want to leave? And so the last chapter in here is about what do you want to leave behind? You know, what's your family? For me, my big why is really ending modern day human slavery in the world. And so just, you know, finding a way to use finances to really help make the difference in the world that you that you want to see. So I, I think, you know, the things that hold people back, I think it's people feel inexperienced. You know, if, if there's two people, one has great ideas and they just have great theories and they have this incredible detailed plan and the other person doesn't have really have a lot of plan they just have kind of a goal and but they take a lot of action the person that takes the action will almost always beat the other person because the other person is all in theory right so if i just simply start taking action so if somebody's a passive investor or wants to be you know doing apartment deals or other types of deals if you just start going to meetups you start reading books you start taking the actions or looking at deals it's just amazing what can open up to you everything starts to open up and then you learn as you go along Right now is a very difficult time to raise capital, right? I mean, there's bad news about foreclosures. Then there's, you know, capital calls. But this is really, how do you assess assess that? So these are people who have invested previously and they're getting burned right now, right? And so now you get a great opportunity and you're asking them to invest in this great opportunity. And they're like, well, I'm just still licking my wounds from the last one. So how do you position that to your investor, right? How do you How do you speak to your investors right now Especially when you have an opportunity, right? Because you you can't you have to somehow acknowledge that there is some pain out there, especially for people who have made investments. How do you position that? Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. It's very counterintuitive, right? The best time to invest is the time that a lot of people don't want to invest. I mean, they're looking back, the best time would have been between like 2008 and 2011 or whatever. It's, it was a great time. But a lot of people were not interested in it. Or if like lately, people have had capital calls or losses or it's actually the deals have gotten a lot better. But, you know, two years ago, when we were raising millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars almost immediately. It actually, looking back, was a time of higher risk. And so what we try to tell investors now, and this is one of the reasons we've done, you know, we're still looking at multifamily. We're still open to there's some situations that make a lot of sense. But we've also looked at other investments that are real cash flow investments. And I feel like when you have a cash flow investment that cash flows from day one or very quickly, it reduces your basis because you're able to start getting money back very quickly. And so that's why you're looking at businesses or car washes or ATMs or oil and gas or other things that can cash flow a little easier. I think those are a little bit of an easier sell now. And I think a lot of what a lot of people don't realize now, Michael, is that there's also a risk, not just of, hey, I'm, I'm going to wait and kind of, you know, the confused mind will say to wait, but inflation is still a big risk. And I don't think it's actually 3% like it officially is. I think it's more like 8%-ish. And so if that's the case, you're losing money just sitting there. We've seen that over the last three years. I mean, prices just about for groceries, about everything seems to have just about, you know, got 50% in the last few years. So I think, I think it's always important to kind of keep open, keep looking to kind of realize, you know, Warren Buffett's quote of be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. The best opportunities come when it's not a popular time to invest. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of 2008. Honestly, it's, you know, in 2008, nine, no one was investing, right? There was blood in the streets and that was the best time. That's when I started flipping houses. Because I saw, I saw the opportunity and I just, I was like, I flipped as many as I, as I could. I should have gotten an apartment building. So I didn't know any better at the time. 
But I think we're in a similar position right now. And I think the sophisticated investor must tell the difference between you know, deals that were bought two years ago and deals that are being bought right now. I, I really, I, Garrett, what, what do you think about that? The reality is that we saw the defined peak, right? So the defined peak was literally sometime between February and March of 2022. We saw it kind of get to the highest pricing that it's ever been. And so from that, you can look at that and be like, okay, well, it's coming down from here. Now we don't know where the bottom is, but we know that deals oftentimes just in general across the market, at least in our industry and multifamily are down 30, 40, sometimes 50%, depending on where you're purchasing. Cap rates have blown out to six, between six and 7%. So you, you can pinpoint that exact moment in time, which I think is super important looking ahead. Now, the problem is, People are going to be getting burned along the way from the, the lat. There was this huge frenzy. Everybody got in. Those people are going to start getting burned. So they're going to be skittish. They, went, they just they just took a loss or they took a partial loss or whatever it was. They didn't make any money, lost money. So getting them to understand this and, and come back and, and kind of double back into it. That's that's what I'm curious, Bronson. What is what does that messaging look like for you? Yeah, I think, well, I think the big thing, and this is something I heard from Michael over the years too, is just, you know, in any, in any market, there's always opportunity. And I think that, you know, we're not looking at quite the same deal, at least we're not the same multifamily deal that we were looking at a little while ago. The debt situation has gotten difficult and we're, you know, deals that we are in, if they're below 90%, sometimes the rates, the buyers are getting are nine to 12% as far as bridge, right? So it's really, it's really tricky. So the situations I think we look at are, you know, if there's some sort of loan assumption thing that we had eight years left on a fixed rate thing, or, you know, you can get it three or 4%. Some of those things are interesting, but those are, you know, they come with a premium and those are hard. And that's actually would have been a business there, right? Of just having fixed rate debt and then being able to, you know, have people assume those and sell them off. But, but yeah, I think it, it's, it's definitely changed. I think that, you know, we're, we are seeing in the pricing where, you know, in Atlanta, we have a property there and, and one of the brokers was saying from the peak in 2022, to now, the pricing for that exact same property has gone down 42% in this one submarket of Atlanta, right? Mm -hmm. That's brutal. Like no matter what you do, it's like that's that's a really hard thing to work from. But then again, I mean, the plus side of that is prices are down 42%. And what happens if rates are a little higher now? You get into something now, it's better. You know, your buying price is fixed, but you can always refinance later into a lower debt, right? So that's what we're wondering. Everybody's kind of mm. wondering, will rates come down? They're starting to come down a little bit. Will they come down next year? Will the Fed lower? We're not sure, but it's something to consider. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, the, the, the properties that are in, in trouble right now are typically the floating rate bridge loans, right? And and people are like, whoa, why did you do those? Why did you? Well, the simple answer is, well, you, you have to use a bridge loan to get into if you're going to do value add by definition, yeah. right? So there really wasn't any, any kind of uh, way to avoid it as the only way to do it, right? And so but that's what's what's creating the problems right now. It's all anything related to construction, all construction projects that were bought with floating rate debt is it's very frustrating for me and, and a lot of other people that you are not really rewarded for good operations in this particular regard, because when you have interest rate caps expiring, even if you're at 93% occupied, it's not going to solve the problem, but you still have a massive problem. You're running out of cash. You don't have the cash to, to extend and your exit now is very, very, very limited. And so, yeah. you know, from an operations perspective, that's super frustrating. Yeah. You have to make moves, actual capital market moves when the capital markets are in the dumps, right? And so, and anyone that was doing a project, construction project, you had a short-term loan essentially to get that done. 
And when you have to make a big move, like a refinance or a sale or something along those lines to get out of that short-term loan, and then, and then everything dumps out by 30, 40%, it causes real problems. And I, I don't think we've seen the amount of stress that still exists that's coming ahead. I don't think people have, you're seeing some of that, some people you know, losing deals or stopping this or whatever that's happening, but I think there's more to come. And, you know, it's, it's challenging to predict exactly what the future looks like if you're going to buy deals right now too, on that side. What, are you, what exit caps are you using? All those things. Now, I will say that because things are down so much, there, there's a higher likelihood that you're going to be winning, hopefully, if you operate well. But still the prediction, it's still murky. There's a lot of volatility going on in this exact moment in time when this is going to air. So here's a question for you, Bronson. So, so let's say we, we expect 2024 is going to be rough for existing operators. But if you're a buyer, I think it's going to be magical because you're going to be able to pick up stuff that's in distress and that's going to have to sell quickly for a variety of, there's probably going to be loan modification, short sales. Uh, so from a buy perspective, I think it's been great. Now for you, you've done multifamily, but you also have other asset classes. Are you going to stay away from multifamily because of that? Or if you do get into these opportunities that are going to be, I think, amazing, you know, is that something that that you're going to position to your investors? And if so, how are you going to do that? Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. You know, I think this is something we talked about and worked together is I remember having a conversation with Garrett and like, how much money do you think we can actually raise? Like it's like the unpredictable thing. You never know, right? And I approach it from a capital raiser size, like, well, if I raise for a multifamily, how many can I, you know, can I raise a million or will it be five million? It's hard, it's really hard to know. So I think. You know, in general, you can present if a deal makes sense, if it's a good deal, if it's conservative, if you like it. I think a lot of investors these days are, you know, anything bridge debt or value add is is people are a little more cautious about. There's, you know, some we've looked at some senior housing or you know senior assisted living kind of stuff that looks at new construction that looks interesting. There's other stuff out there that's great. I mean, we're, we're you know if, if the deal makes sense and it's with a great operator, we're definitely going to consider it. But again, you know, also considering. What's the sentiment right now? And that's it's it's kind of the reality of it. It's like the deal could be the best deal in the world, but if you can't get the money for it, and even people that I know that are uber wealthy, a lot of them are tied up because they have money that are going out to different deals, or they've kind of had rescue things here, or done some money, they've done kind of different things, and so it's just something to consider. I think that there will come a point where it's just you know we'll look back, I think, on this time and say, man, there were some great deals out yeah. there right now. That we, you know, we just weren't able to take advantage of because it's hard to get the lending. But I do find with investors that are very sophisticated, some of the family office, more of the private, the bigger groups, they are going pretty heavy into multifamily now because they see the opportunity, mm. right? So retail investors, and I think you know, you know, you've talked about this, Michael, as well. Of like, oh, it feels painful, so therefore multifamily is bad. Versus like, well, no, like this deal maybe not have gone well, but it's actually a really great time with lower risk and a better out long-term outlook right now, but it's the contrarian. You have to, you know, as an individual, you've got to just go through that process and say, okay, well, what really is the risk right now? But one, you know, one reality kind of on the other side of that is the wealth effect. People feel less wealthy, mostly people investing in multivalent than they did six months, a year, two years ago. So those are just considerations. I'm not saying, I think people that are savvy investors will find more moves to make. Uh, I'm seeing a lot less multifamily deals out there, but that means if you have a deal, there could be people that really would say, hey, this is a unique deal that I like this. I like this time, this market. And so I, I, I'm i definitely bullish on it. I think it's just finding the right deal that makes sense. And you know, you see that there's lower risk parameters in it. Love it. Bronson, how can people connect with you? 
Awesome, Michael. Thanks for having me. And thanks, Garrett. Yeah, you can go to my website, bronsonequity.com. I just wrote the, the book Fire Yourself. And you can get the first couple chapters for free on my website. So you can go download that. It's also available on Amazon. And I'm also on all the social medias. That's awesome. So everyone check out Bronson's new book, Fire Yourself. Bronson, so great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much, Michael. Thanks, Garrett. Appreciate you guys. So check out Bronson's book called Fire Yourself on Amazon. Also, if you are a passive investor and you are looking for opportunities to invest in real estate, we would love to have a conversation with you. Our investment firm is called Nighthawk Equity. We're at nighthawkequity.com. Just uh, schedule a call with us. We'd love to have a conversation. We're always looking for deals. It's a little challenging to find them, but we are seeing more opportunities like we talked about before. And we'd love to have uh, build that relationship with you so that we can share that live deal when we get it as well. But, you know, to me, just having this conversation with Bronson here, it really does remind me, Garrett, of 2008. It, it really does. There's a lot of fear in the market. People are getting hurt right now. I know people who, who had, you know, finally got into real estate, got a rental house, lost it, right? Foreclosure. They're like, oh my gosh, all real estate bad. Never touching that again, right? When they didn't understand that what was bad was a, was a massive one-time event that affected single family house. It didn't affect all real estate. And so- we have to discern what happened. I think you identified the peak of the market. You identified the root cause of that, which was 11 rate hikes, unprecedented. And we know that no one foretold this because, well, we got loans. And none of these lenders would have given us a loan had they known that there would be potential distress two years down, down the road. So we have to recognize exactly what happened, understand the problem, and therefore know how to evaluate new opportunities and look at the fundamentals and look at the deal, look at the risk profile. And I think that's what's required here as we move into 2024. If you look at any industry, stock market, crypto, even precious metals, whatever it is, there are always swings. And there's always going to be winners and losers on each side of those swings. It's just That's just how markets work in general. Real estate typically is a slower market cycle, but it's still there's still swings. As we're seeing right now, we had a huge upswing and then a huge downswing. And so, you know, I learned this when it came to like even crypto, and I was messing around with that in 2017, and I just stayed in too long. And then all of a sudden, all my stuff was worth nothing anymore. And I just stayed in long enough and, and finally it came back. It's like that anywhere. In this one, we're able to look at what happened, see where it went, and see where how we can make it better going forward, which is really unique. And it's it's such a unique time because of that. Hindsight's always 2020. In this instance, obviously it's it's there. And especially people like us that have a deep knowledge of our markets and just of real estate in general, while we couldn't predict that this was going to swing downwards, we can make an assumption as to where it may be headed, which I think it's heading towards major opportunity. So in general, not great times to, to be dealing with this and seeing what's happening out there, but there's bright stuff ahead on the in the future. Yeah, we have our hands full as operators. We do have some floating rate in our, in our portfolio, and it's uh, it's time consuming. I won't lie; it's uh, it's not not pleasant. It takes the fun out of this stuff. And and again, our challenge is not to get so bogged down in problems because there's still opportunity. We have to serve our investors. We have to serve anyone who is looking for financial freedom. And here's the thing: do not try to time the market. Don't sit this one out. Don't be afraid to get in there. Now is the time to get educated about this investment class, however you get that education. And here's the thing, you're not going to be able to, to hear about these opportunities in the news or in LoopNet. They're going to come from brokers. So if you're not talking to brokers, if you're an active investor, or you're not talking to operators like, like us, if you're a passive investor right now, 
you won't know the opportunity. It's going to happen behind the scenes. It's going to be happening off market between operators, between banks. That's already happening right now. Negotiations. They're not going to see the light of day, these opportunities. So make sure that you get in there right now so you can see these opportunities coming. And so I think 2024 is going to be a mixed bag. On the one hand, we have to deal with a portfolio and that sucks. On the other hand, it's our responsibility to take advantage of the opportunity that's come and then educate you on it, right? Because if we can't educate you on it and we can't you excited about that so that you invest or get into this, then we can't raise the capital and we can't take advantage and that would be a shame. So hopefully with that, you stay inspired and let's do that deal. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by downloading Michael's free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Head over to themichaelblock.com slash ebook to get the free training.